There's a drive up the middle. Hernandez in back of the bag. He's got him. Jesse Hernandez. Look at Glass. Glass has pitched the Pirates to the World Championship. Hello, everyone. I'm Danny Torres, host of the Talking 21 podcast, part of the Our Esquina Podcast Network. That unforgettable call occurred 50 years ago when the Pirates defeated the Orioles and Game 7 of the 1971 World Series. Our next guest was only nine years old at the time and rooting for the Orioles. The outcome of that thrilling matchup heavily favored the We Are Family Pittsburgh Pirates. The Buckos were once again destined to become champions. Our next guest is Derek Shelton. He's traded in his childhood hat and is now the manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Every young baseball fan, like a nine-year-old Derek Shelton, dreams of one day playing in the big leagues, or even better, playing in a World Series. Some even dream about managing, filling out a lineup card, slowly walking to the pitcher's mound, signaling to the bullpen, and even arguing with the umpire. I was no different. I always dreamed of digging in the batter's box at Shea Stadium. But for now, my sheer enjoyment is interviewing those ball players, coaches, and managers who have reached the upper echelon of Major League Baseball. Although Derek Shelton's first year as a big league skipper would be shortened by the pandemic, I always wondered. What that memorable conversation must have been like. November 27th, 2019, you were selected to become the 41st manager in Pittsburgh Pirates history. So I can congratulate you now, but uh, you're already entering your second season with the Pittsburgh Pirates. But if you can, for our listeners, describe that phone call with the Pirates organization. Uh, uh, very humbling. You know, you work your entire career to, to get to a position to, uh, to, you know, to manage a major league baseball team for me. And after 15, 16 years of coaching in the big leagues, uh, I got a text from Ben Charrington, the, the general manager that said, uh, do you have time to chat? And, you know, I had as much time as possible to chat. And, you know, he called and offered me the job. And, and I think one of the coolest things about it was my wife was in the room and my youngest and my youngest and my oldest were we're also there. My middle one was not there. Isabella was not there, but it just, it was such a cool moment. And then, you know, being able, it was really, really special to be able to put on a Pirates jersey and I FaceTime my mom and dad. And, you know, oh, that must, that must have been special. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, we did a thing with the Pirates this year and I think I teared up talking about it. My dad was a high school coach. He's in the Illinois High School Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame. But it's a culmination of a lot of work from a lot of people and a lot of time. And, and anybody that's in the game and has a family realizes how much that your your family puts into it, my wife puts into it, my kids. And and then on top of it to come into such a storied franchise, you know, I mean, we're on the we're on the 21, we're on the 21 broadcast, but you know, you talk about Clemente and Mazarowski and Stargell and Parker, you know, I mean we're talking about some of the greatest players ever to play the game and uh, to be the person that, that sits there and is a the manager of this team. It's, it's really cool. I quickly reminded Derek of another great player who was a familiar face at PNC park, Manny Sanguian. 
Derek shared what it was like to have a 1971 World Series champion in his presence during his first spring training as the manager. I'm going to tell a story before we get there. One of the coolest moments last year in spring training, my first spring training, is Manny's there and he's sitting over watching the catching drills and uh, Glenn Sherlock, our catching coach, who actually coached me in the minor leagues, you know, so everything comes full circle, uh, was able to take Shrills over, who's been a big influence on my life, and introduce him to Manny. And to see, you know, how excited Manny was, number one, because there's so much knowledge there. But on the flip side, to see Shirls, a guy that's been coaching 25 years in the big leagues, that was he would genuinely could not wait to talk to Manny Sanguin. So, yeah, it, it's, it's really cool. I mean, that's an infectious smile. You want to talk about a smile that's infectious? Manny Sanguin can light up a room. In 1979, a young Derek Shelton, who was raised in a northern suburb of Chicago, had a similar smile on his face as he watched the World Series with his dad. His favorite team was the Baltimore Orioles, and they were once again facing the Pittsburgh Pirates. And similarly to what happened in 1971, history repeated itself. After striking out the first two batters, Kent to Colby faces pinch hitter Pat Kelly. Center fielder Omar Moreno ends it. And the Pittsburgh Pirates are world champions for the fifth time. So I asked Derek, why did he gravitate towards the Orioles and not the Cubs or the White Sox? I tell this story, and it's funny, in Pittsburgh, I was nine years old when, when the Pirates and the Orioles played in the World Series. It was the first World Series that my dad let me stay up long enough to watch. And, you know, as everyone remembers that series, the Orioles were up. You know, we were feeling pretty good as Oriole fans. Uh, and the Pirates came back. So I can remember in my basement in northern Illinois on a small black and white TV watching, you know, those games. So I grew up an Oriole fan. My father played in the Oriole organization. I mean, Played on, I mean, he played on a rookie ball team that Joe Altabelli managed with Bobby Gritch and Don Baylor and Johnny Oates. And there was another guy named Ron Shelton. That's my dad's name that went on to produce Bull Durham and White Men Can't Jump was on the team. So it's a really cool thing. But uh, going back to your question, my, my parents were both teachers at the, the local high school and my dad coached basketball and, and baseball. So we spent all of our time at the school. You know, there was a ball in our hand, depending on, you know, in Northern Illinois, whether it's football season or baseball season or basketball, that's what we did. For every child who loves the game of baseball, playing catch with a parent is a rite of passage. In my case, I have two daughters playing catch and witnessing their throwing progression. Those are memories I will cherish forever. My daughters are adults now. But when the weather is absolutely perfect, we still grab our mitts and continue that same tradition. So I asked Derek, what was it like growing up with a father who played professionally and taking that time-honored trip to the ballpark? A really cool moment for me as a, as a child growing up as we were sitting in the dugout at, uh, at County Stadium, Old County Stadium, when... Uh, when I was growing up and they were, the Brewers were playing the Orioles and Cal Ripken senior was sitting in the dugout and we were in there because Oates was managing or, or I think Oates was managing or Baylor was there or someone. And Cal Ripken senior, like 
was introduced to my father and then said like, you were a left-handed pitcher. Like you play, I mean, like his memory worked to that. And it was really cool for me because this was the father of my idol growing up, Cal Ripken. And he remembered, you know, my dad is a minor league player. So that, that was cool for me. You know, uh, I'm just trying to envision that right now because imagine your dad kind of just throwing an elbow to the side and said, hey, Derek, see, Cal Ripken Sr., he remembers me as a pitcher. So that must have been pretty cool. I'm a native New Yorker and I'm talking to someone right now who started his career in the New York Yankees organization that you were assigned as a non-drafted free agent. I'm even trying to even put that together from the standpoint of a non-drafted free agent in 1992. So here it is that your career was short-lived, but tell me about that. You know, you get, the, you hear the news, you're signing, you're going to be a Bronx bomber, kind of put uh, our listeners into the uh, mindset of what Derek Shelton was feeling at that moment. Uh, really excited. Like, I mean, like you said, I was a non-drafted free agent. You know, there were I had two opportunities. One was with Houston and one was with New York. And, you know, Tim Kelly, the, the scout that signed me that still works for the Yankees was, uh, you know, had a very open conversation with me about, you know, his thoughts, even to the point of like, you know, he told me like, at some point, we think you're going to be a good coach. And I think going into it, I was pretty realistic about my skill set. I mean, I was a college senior that that didn't hit for a lot of power, didn't really hit, but I knew I was fortunate to, to play at the next level. And then once I got in the Yankee organization, there was just so much that I was able to learn and so many people that I was able to learn from. Uh, very fortunate, Mark Newman, who ran the Yankees minor leagues for a long time and just passed away this summer, was a mentor of mine. You know, someone that I talked about this summer that was probably besides my father, the biggest influence on my career, because not only as a player, but as a, as a staff member, he hired me, uh, Gary Denbo, who works for the, you know, works for the Marlins now and is famously known as Jeter's hitting guy was there. Rob Thompson, who's the bench coach for the Phillies was there. Trey Hillman, who, you know, has managed in the big leagues. Those guys were all there, you know, as coaches. And then when I came back, I was able to coach with them and it really had a great impact. And, I don't think there was probably any place better for a 26 year old, you know, a ball retired a ball catcher to go than to go to the Yankees and, and learn the game. I learned a lot, you know, from, from managing there. And the, the great thing about it, and I, and I still live in, in Florida, but the great thing about those years is I lived here and, you know, that was at the, the, in the midst of the dynasty. And I was able to spend all winter in Florida and be around Derek and, you know, George, George Posada and Tino Martinez and, you know, Chili Davis came in and did his rehab. So sure. there was a lot of things that happened. Not, let's not forget Mariano. Forget yeah. Mariano. Yeah. And I actually played with Jeet and Mariano on a team. Did you? Did you? Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of a special thing. But th that group, and I think to, to your point, Danny, why the minor leagues are so important. You know, I mean, you can say whatever you want about the Yankees and, and doing things, but the core group of their championship years, was guys they developed, you know, add Pettit to that group. And, and that's really important. And so to, to be a, a Yankee manager in the minor leagues and see how things were done. And, you know, at that time, Mr. Steinbrenner was still alive and he lived in Tampa. So he was around and you were able to feel the influence of, of what being a Yankee was about. And I really think that helped mold, you know, how my mind would work you know, even moving forward. And I don't even think I realized it until later on, but there's a lot of things that, that I look back on that, that were very influential in those years.
When you put the pinstripes on, you're not just putting a baseball uniform on. You're wearing tradition and you're wearing pride. And you're going to wear it the right way. Are you a graceful loser? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm like a Yankee fan. My foot has gone through a number of television sets in my time. Yes, I, I mean, do. What, what does it say about George Steinbrenner when the Yankees lose? It says he's one of the worst losers in the world. <laughs> you show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. Affectionately known as the boss, the late Mr. George Steinbrenner was the principal owner of the New York Yankees. His ranting and brash personality towards everyone often made the front and back page of every media outlet. But few knew the other George, who often extended a helping hand and was quite generous towards charitable organizations. Derek saw this firsthand when he was managing the Yankees Gulf Coast League. I asked Derek, did he ever experience the boss's wrath when things weren't going according to his plan? I think it was 2001. It was my second year managing and we won the Gulf Coast League. And Mr. Steinbrenner owned a hotel called the Bay Harbor that's still here in Tampa. And after, the, after that night we won, uh, he threw a steak and lobster dinner for all the kids in the Gulf Coast League. Now we're talking, I think that year we had of the, of the nine starters, eight of them were, were Latin American players. And then we had a kid from Hawaii. So a steak and lobster dinner for, for, you know, it's one of the coolest things you can get. And the dinner was cleared out in uh, one of the coaches and I were sitting there having a beer and my oldest, who's now 20 was running around, and Mr. Steinbrenner walked in and Mr. Steinbrenner wasn't a huge fan of alcohol. And as we were sitting there having a beer, I think there were a lot of thoughts like, oh my God, you know? And he walked over and was, you know, so happy that we had won because the Gulf Coast League team meant a lot to him because it was in Tampa. Congratulations. Uh, he had had a grandchild that day. So he, yeah, he was in the best of moods. And I can remember as he was walking towards me, like thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna get fired. <clears throat> excuse me, because I'm sitting here having a lager and uh, he was in the best mood and, and so happy. But that, you know, that's one story that stands out. And I, I think a lot of people, well, a lot of people in New York realize it, but, you know, in Tampa, Mr. Steinbrenner was, you know, a larger than life figure and gave probably more money than, than just about anybody to charities while he was, uh, while he was alive. Having the distinct honor of being a major league baseball coach or manager is quite special. Every game provides a multitude of in-game strategies. But in today's data-driven baseball, analytics has evolved this game to an entirely different level. And of course, what organization wouldn't want the ultimate dream team of players at every position? But the manager will always be the key to a successful team. I asked Derek what pointers he took away from the managers he worked with. I think I take away a little bit from, from everybody I worked with in terms of the managers and in everybody I worked with really had a different style. I, I never worked for two guys that, that were the same. I went from working in Cleveland with Eric Wedge, who's one of the most intense people around to Joe Madden, who's definitely one of the coolest people around and, and less, you know, least intense. But I think every manager I worked with, what I saw is the game was about the players. And that really stood out to me. And they all showed it in different ways and all had conversations in different ways. But the game was all about the players. And each single person 
that I worked with, I tried to take one piece from. Like I worked for John Gibbons for a year. He's the greatest manager of superstars of anybody I've ever been around. You know, we had we had some really big name people in Toronto that year. And I was very fortunate to spend a year watching how he had conversations with them, what they did, how they did it. You know, really important that that I use now and you know, I used in in my interview process with Pittsburgh in terms of just talking about the game. So I feel very fortunate that that everybody that I worked for was about the players, but they were all different. So I could kind of take a little bit from, from each of them. You know, there's two words, um, Derek, that you just mentioned. One manager intense, the other one, Joe Madden, coolest. So how can you be that when certainly you might have veterans on your team that have gone through a couple of managers already? So how can you put that all together, put in a mixer, and really put all of those attributes, those personality traits of the managers you learned from to now Derek Shelton, 2021 Pittsburgh Pirates manager. How can we do that? Well, I think number one, you be yourself. And when I when I talk to when I talk to people when I start interviewing, you know, that was a big thing. And I mean, you said the Mets. I interviewed for the Mets job a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, came down to to being one of the the finalists, and and I get it and, and, get, and got the Pittsburgh job. But everybody I talked to at that time was like, just be yourself, be who you are, be authentic. Because when it comes down to it, uh, people are going to look at who you are. And then after I got the Pittsburgh job, I had breakfast with Jim Leland. And he told me, be who you are every single day. Don't try to be something you're not. And, you know, one of the points of it was with the people in Pittsburgh, they like authenticity and they want to know who you are and they will sniff out if you're not, you know, what you say you are. And that's really important to me. I want to represent myself and I want our team to represent ourselves in a way that is very indicative of how I feel. And, you know, I think that was probably the best piece of advice I got after I got the job. Although Derek credits his father with his love for the game, Becoming the manager of the Pirates afforded him the opportunity to delve deeper into the life of Roberto Clemente. This baseball Hall of Famer and Pittsburgh Pirates right fielder may have won every imaginable award, but the extraordinary impact he's had since his untimely passing has helped athletes understand the importance of philanthropy. And Derek shared what Clemente has meant to him and so many others he has encountered throughout his baseball journey. Well, I, I think the, the, the stories are, are not a, even about him as a player. It's about him as a humanitarian. And, you know, I mean, something that's very near and dear to my heart is, you know, Donnie Kelly is my bench coach and his wife is Carrie Walker, who is Neil Walker's sister. And who, by, who, by the way, we had them as a guest, by the way, Tom and Neil were guests on right. Talking 21. Right. So, and I mean, it's now a very famous story known about, you know, Roberto talking, you know, that day, that fateful day in, in December when, when Mr. Walker didn't get on the plane. So th that's what stands out to me. And I had heard that story as a child from my father, not knowing the Walker family, but to think about that now and to think about Donnie and to think about Carrie and to think about their three boys, that's what stands out to me. And I mean, in no way would we ever discount Roberto the player. 
because I think he's one of the greatest players to play, but he is hands down the greatest humanitarian that we've ever had in baseball. And, and, you know, as we talk about 21 and 21 being retired or what happened this past year with everyone wearing it, that's what our kids need to know. You know, one of the proudest days for me this year was, was uh, on December 31st, my youngest Gianna put on a 21, which I'm wearing a 21 from Dwayne at the museum, put on a 21 Jersey because she knows the story and was like, dad, today's the day we wear this. And I sent the picture to Dwayne, but like, that's the legacy we have to teach, you know, and it's why it's so important for, for me in Pittsburgh and in Puerto Rico and throughout the game, because that's life-changing, you know, baseball comes and goes and there's great players, but what he stood for as a person that that's why the, you know, that's why the award's named after him. That's why they give the award to Roberto Clemente and they give it Walter Payton in the NFL, which growing up in Chicago, you know, knowing everything about Walter, those are special. And if you listen to people that receive those awards, it's really cool. And when we did the, the Zoom call with Puerto Rico this year, when we wore 21, to see Tar Carlos Delgado, who, you know, I watched play, he did the interview, he did the Zoom with his trophy right by his side. That speaks about Baseball history is such an important part of the fabric of this game. Each year, thousands of visitors travel to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown to stroll inside the plaque gallery and catch a glimpse of the baseball immortals. But what has always stood out to me is how visitors constantly touch the plaque of the great one. You can easily see how the bronze plaque has lost a little bit of its luster by the countless hands that have touched Clemente's embossed face as if it were a holy relic. But what Derek Shelton decided to do with the cooperation of the coaching staff, players, and the Clemente family was truly unprecedented. I was there for that historic game, and as a matter of fact, it's where I met Derek for the first time. I shared some of what that day meant to me with the Pirate Skipper. You know, um, so I flew, as I mentioned to you, from New York City to uh, kick off Talking 21 on September 9th, 2021, excuse me, 2020. And um, that's baseball history that I knew, as you could see right behind me, my own baseball collection, my own Roberto Clemente Shrine. So that was history that I wanted to be a part of. So here it is in front of the bronze statue, as you know got a chance to see Roberto uh, Clemente Jr. And here it is, you come out with um, uh, Joey Cora, which your uh, bench coach, um, a number of uh, your players. But what I really pulled away from that particular moment, Derek, I thought of you, we did not know each other yet, but I said, and I was sitting up in a press box and I said, does Derek Shelton realize that now he is a part of history? So Derek, I'm gonna ask you right now, Knowing that you are part of history, that it was the first time since 1972 that the entire Pittsburgh Pirate team wore number 21. 21 patches that right behind me, Derek, there is the actual patch that I was able to acquire that was on the sleeves of players, uh, Mims bands, wristbands that were on, uh, created by my dear friend James Mims that you, the entire team wore. But do you realize that you were part of history but Derek, what, what, what do you take away now that we're beginning 2021, another season, think of it, that it is 21. What do you take away from that moment, September 9th, 2020? Uh, well, besides meeting you, 
no. <laughs> which is cool, which is cool. Yeah, there's there's some things I take away from it. When we started it, it was really important to me. I, I don't think I realized how big it was going to be. And well, the magnitude, the magnitude was huge. Yeah. Huge. And Joey kept telling me, you know, obviously I'm not Puerto Rican. Jo Joey kept telling me like, dude, you have no idea what this is doing in Puerto Rico. And then he starts sending me pictures of, of like, you know, downtown San Juan and the pictures of Roberto up. And, and I had been to Puerto Rico a couple of years ago because the twins played when I was with the twins, the twins played the Indians there. And that was a really cool thing because they didn't cheer for teams. They cheered for Lindor, Rosario, Perez, Barrios. That was really cool to me. It, there were a couple of things that really stuck with me. Uh, the first one was, and I remember it clear as day, is that Roberto Jr. and Luis and I had talked about it. And, you know, it has, and everything has to be cleared by Major League Baseball. And we were in Cincinnati and I called and talked to them and they said, let me, let's, call, uh, we'll call you back the next day. You know, we talk, talk about it as a family. And Luis told me after he got off the phone, he felt this like thing in his shoulder. And he said, that's when my dad's talking to me. And he said, and I know you have, like, that's my dad's talking to you and you have pure intentions and you want to do this. That meant more to me than anything, because, you know, here we have someone that, you know, is feeling something from his father and it's about something we're doing that's going to make the game better. So I am extremely humbled and, and proud to be part of something that, that will go down in history. I think everybody, you know, wants to be part of history a little bit in the game. If this is the one thing that people know Derek Shelton for, that I was part of this, then I'm going to be really happy. So a couple of questions, Derek, follow up to everything that you said, the communication you had with uh, Roberto Jr. and Luis. Um, first of all, how did you come up with this idea? Number one. And number two, any, and I want to use this word, trepidation, resistance from Major League Baseball to say, hmm, we've never done this before. You know, I kind of want to hear like the back end, if you could share for our listeners. Yeah. So the first thing is, is, I mean, I've been thinking about this since I got the job, honestly, you know, why are we not honoring, you know, why are we not honoring this, this great player, this great humanitarian. And then as it got closer, uh, Brian Stroh, who's one of our, uh, our senior VPs in baseball, I started talking to him about it and, you know, I, I don't have contacts to major league baseball, but he floated it out to major league baseball. And I think when the way would you, when would you, I'm sorry, Derek. When would you say was this idea floated? This was probably a month, a month and a half before we actually did it. And he floated it out. And basically, basically what, what they said, he said, like, our manager is pushing this and feels very strongly about it. And they were like, this is great. Like, you need to talk to the Clemente family. So Joey hooked me up with, with Roberto Jr. And we started talking about it. And then Roberto Jr. And, and Luis talked to Major League Baseball. And then they, we just had a conversation back and forth about, you know, why it was in. I think they wanted to hear why it was important to me if I was going to lead this, and which I think is great. And we talked about it and went through some ideas. And, and you know, the only thing that, that I wish would have happened is I wish we would have wore the old 21 jerseys for it. That would have been cool. I would have yeah, been cool. it, just, it was too quick a turnaround once the, we got the final approval and everything. Eric, and then, when would you, what would you say was the final approval? Week before, two weeks before? 
you know, uh, I would say it was probably two weeks before. I mean, not remembering the timeline, but I would say it was probably two weeks before that that we finally got approval on on doing it and how we were going to do it. Okay, um, Derek, as you know, I mean, it's, it's it's been what over now thirteen months. Uh, this past year, now going into 2021, we've lost a number of baseball Hall of Famers. And if you're truly a fan of the game, which Derek, I know you are, I know our listeners are, certainly I am. Baseball always being on my number one sport, my number one passion. But to lose somebody like Hank Aaron recently, um, any particular memories that Derek Shelton has of those 10 Hall of Famers? Is there something, maybe even one is a fan of your dad's, but... Uh, you know, any of those 10 that sadly have passed away that immediately you might say, you know, Danny, Tom Seaver, Whitey Ford, Bob Gibson, you know, if you and especially considering you're a catcher. Right. So I'll give you those three. Whitey Ford was my dad's favorite player. And my dad wore number 16 because of Whitey Ford. So, so you know, that one stands out. Uh, Bob Gibson, my mom and dad's first date was at a Cardinal game that Bob Gibson hey, did. Get out of here. Maybe, maybe Derek, I have this celebrate. What they call that? Uh, you know, uh, where I have this sense. I'm getting, I'm getting this sense through the computer now that I already am figuring this out. You know, right. And then I think with Aaron, just number one, uh, you know, being the home run leader for so long, uh, I was able to meet Al Downing, who is a wonderful oh. human being, and Al Downing gave it up. Yeah, he gave up the homer. But, you know, I grew up right between Chicago and Milwaukee. So we were able to go to Milwaukee and there was a statue of, of Aaron in Milwaukee, you know, from his days there. It, it's sad. I mean, we, we've, we've lost way too many in, in such a, you know, short amount of time. I mean, just losing Don Sutton recently and, you know, remembering him for pitching in the Afro and, you know, he looked like he was 50 when he was 30, just carving people up, you know, so I, I like that you said Afro because that was an Afro. I would agree. Yeah, that was sick. I mean, you can't, I mean, rocking that. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's sad and it, it really makes you, it really makes you sit back and reflect. I actually have a question from a diehard Pittsburgh Pirates fan, Scott Chamberlain at the Buckos fan, his Twitter handle. And the question is, is there anything you learned during your first season as manager at the major league level? although it was shortened due to the pandemic that you believe might make you a better manager for the pirates in 2021. Yeah. There, there's not just one thing I learned. I think I learned a lot, but uh, probably the biggest thing I learned is when you're sitting in this chair, you know, you're, you're making the ultimate decision when you're a hitting coach or bench coach, you can make suggestions and you can make them in as you know, timely a fashion as you want. You don't have the opportunity to do that uh, when you're the manager. And there's a lot of things that happen at once. And where that really stood out was like the three batter minimum, you know, learning how to, to use that and, 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 you know, who you have to have up and what's going to happen. And then, you know, this year going into it, we're going to add the pitcher hitting back into it, which will be, you know, a new experience. So I think that the two biggest things I learned was how fast the game actually happens when you're sitting in this chair. And everyone that I had talked to told me that, but they said, you can't experience it until you do it. And then the second thing I learned, uh, which is something I, I thought I had learned from the managers that I had watched, but you don't realize it till you get into it, is you have to trust your coaches. You have to trust their opinions. You have to ask for their opinions. And then, you know, 
sometimes run with it, even if it's, you know, maybe not what you would have done because there's logical reasons and they've thought through it uh, in, in a way that's uh, maybe a little clearer than you have. That's going to be it. Man, you talk about a short leash. 73 pitches. Snell can't believe it. As Kevin Cash said, these guys need short memories and thick skin because this is the way we do it. And we'll see how it works out. Trust your player or trust the process? Or how about trusting your gut? It was game six of the 2020 World Series and the decision to pull Tampa Bay Rays starter Blake Snell in the sixth inning, his pitch count, 73 pitches. The Rays were up one zip. Snell had allowed just two hits and struck out ready for this nine batters. Outrage? You betcha. And the Dodgers would eventually be holding the World Series trophy. And I asked Derek what he thought about that controversial decision. Now, you said something rather interesting, Derek, and I want to piggyback on the word trust. Trust your coaches. So now I'm going to ask you this. We know what happened in the World Series. We know actually what happened uh, with even, I'm going to use this as an example, with Dusty Baker when he's at the pitcher's mound. And he looks at uh, his catcher, uh, Martin Maldonado. He looks at his pitcher, and they have that discussion. And it's about pulling, yanking, or he continues to pitch. And guess what? That manager, Dusty Baker, who I believe hopefully will be a future Baseball Hall of Famer, he trusted his players. But now let's talk about a World Series. That wasn't a part of the plan because it just seems apparently, Derek, and something that I would hope maybe you could add to that, well, we live in the world of analytics, data-driven baseball. So looking at Dusty's experience where he looks, you can see it on TV. He looks to his pitcher. He looks to the manager, to, to his catcher. And then you look uh, ahead at a World Series game that the guy's lights out. They remove him. And we all know the rest is history. The Dodgers are the World Series champions. So please, Derek, if you can, just piggyback on that trust. Well, I think there's there's a couple parts to it. Let, let's go with Dusty. Dusty's been doing this a long time, and there is trust. And, you know, from people I've talked to, I don't know Dusty, but people that have played for him and worked for him, unbelievable players, manager, and, you know, has a really good heartbeat for the game. I mean, I remember Dusty as a, uh, as a Dodger, you know, growing up as a player. But uh, unbelievable, you know, unbelievable. He made a decision, and the decision worked out. Uh, on the flip side, on the flip side of it, you know, Kevin went into the game, and you know, I worked for Kevin and worked with Kevin. Uh, went into the game with the game plan, very much stood by it, which is fine. That's the, his decision. I think the biggest part of both of these is they know their players. Dusty knows his players better than I know his players. Uh, Kevin knows his players better than than I know his players. And when you have that, you have to trust that. And that's extremely important. It's really easy, you know, in Dusty's situation, it could have been, you know, two-run homer, three-run homer. Why'd you leave him in? You know, they, you, I mean, you're a Mets fan. You went through that with Matt Harvey the one year when everybody in baseball wanted, uh, you know, Terry to leave him in and he kind of went against his gut. However it turns out, and I'm not saying that was the right decision or the wrong decision, just like Kevin's right or wrong, but you have to go with your players. You have to go with what you think is best. And it's really easy for us to sit back, you know, the next day, four months later and say, that was the wrong decision. That was not the right decision. You know, that's what 
that's what uh, talk radio is about. And that's what second guessing is about. But I think it's knowing your players and, and trusting that situation and, and then living with it. And the one thing I've said over and over again about, you know, game six of the World Series and Kevin Cash, I watched it from my TV. Kevin Cash managed it. I would have traded places with him 100% of the time all day long. And he trusted his process and it just didn't work. What I've asked often of our, our guests on Talking 21 is if Derek Shelton, now try to envision this right now, Derek Shelton, you uh, have an opportunity to come to New York City in the off season. And they said, Derek Shelton, you have a 11 o'clock meeting with Commissioner Rob Manfred. And it's very simple. It's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the commissioner on the consideration and really the hopeful plan in the foreseeable future that Roberto Clemente's number will be retired. Now, besides the obvious, everything that we talked about in this podcast, what could Derek Shelton add to that to say, Commissioner Manfred, this truly needs to happen and I'm hoping that it's gonna happen soon. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, one of the things, and we highlighted earlier is I would, you know, we would highlight not only Roberto the player, but the humanitarian and what he means to the game. And not only what he means to a wonderful city in Pittsburgh, but what he means to an island in, in Puerto Rico. And the one thing I think I would highlight is that if you come to Pittsburgh, it's black and gold. Steelers are black and gold. You know, uh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen that. Pirates are black and gold. There's only one 21 there in black and gold. When you see a 21, it, it's never been a penguin. It's never been a Steeler. You know, it, it's Roberto. And, and I think that legacy in and of itself is something you need to live and breathe. And, and I thought I came into it with respect for it. And I have so much more respect for it now after spending, you know, nine months in a city that reveres this, this man in, in a way he should be revered. So I think that's the biggest part of it is, you know, you look around the game and you see the kids that, that wear 21 and why they wear 21. And then you go to the island and you see it. it that's what needs to be displayed. And that's an excellent point, Derek. And um, as we wrap things up, Derek, I just simply want to say thank you so very much for being on the Talking 21 podcast for season two. And certainly we hope to maybe even welcome you back, but uh, we could talk Roberto. We could talk literally any particular topic, but again, Derek, thank you so very much. And the timing was right to be there September 9th, 2020, be there and certainly have the opportunity to meet you. So once again, Derek, thank you so very much. Oh, thank you for having me on. This is cool. I'm glad you guys are doing this. Thanks so much, Derek, for what you've done in honoring the great one. As you stated, if your legacy will always be remembered for what occurred on September 9th, 2020, you'll be perfectly fine with that. And I'm certain our listeners will be too. Another episode is in the books. And if you enjoyed our podcast with Derek Shelton, please be sure to immediately subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Next time. On the Talk in 21 podcast, we proudly welcome the 2020 Roberto Clemente Award recipient, Adam Wainwright. He talks about his love of the game, an unwavering Christian faith, the close relationship with his longtime catcher, Yadier Molina, his foundation, Big League Impact, 
which has raised close to $6 million. And exactly what happened in the 2006 National League Championship Series when he faced the New York Mets. And you don't want to miss that. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Talking 21 Podcast. And yes, we are also on Facebook and on YouTube. And a special thank you to our co-writer and executive producer, Ras Guevara, and to our social media manager, Senor Basil. A mil gracias and thank you to Tito Rodriguez Jr., who provided the musical arrangement for the Talking 21 Season 2. And lastly, we tip our cap to our graphic designer extraordinaire, Todd Radham, who designed our podcast logo. This is your host, Danny Torres. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at DannyT21. Tune in next time for our continued conversation about the great one.